much in standing for God in their generation, where these people, um, they didn't conform to the world, but they stood strong in the midst of tremendous pressure. We all know the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay, where they're in a pagan society. Everybody, I mean everybody, is conforming and bowing down. The king says, bow down. Bow down to this image. And everybody bows down. Even some of the people that were with them that were Hebrews. So imagine these three young men. They see everybody bowing down. And even their compadres, even their own brothers, some of them bowed down as well. And these three stood strong. And they said, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to give in. We're not going to compromise. I think about Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. She was one that said, Naomi, your God, Jehovah, shall be my God. Your people, your family shall be my people, my family. I'm going to say no to the Moabites, no to my own family, no to all of this religion that is wrong. And she stood firm. But I have never heard a message, a sermon, teaching on these three women I'm about to speak about right now. Where these three women stood strong, didn't conform, didn't compromise. I'm going to talk tonight about Noah's daughter-in-laws. Noah's daughter-in-laws. Here you have these women that everybody, I mean everybody, is not listening to Noah. Sure, there's Noah and his wife and his three sons, but their family, but no other family members were listening to the preaching. And these daughter-in-laws got in the boat. You think about it. The mom, Micha, the dad, Micha. Now, you're not going to get in that boat. I don't care what this crazy man says. I mean, has it ever rained? It's never rained. And he's saying that it's going to be storming and it's going to be flooding. Ta loco. Do not get in that boat. Do you hear me? And all of a sudden, these three women that are really unsung heroes, they stood to their convictions. They didn't listen to the world. And they did the right thing. They must have gone through so much. None of their parents, none of their brothers, their sisters, their friends, their acquaintances listened to Noah. And they stood strong. You know, we're living in a wicked generation that's causing many to leave God and to compromise their convictions. Even to the point where some or many so-called believers look no different than non-believers or the people of the world. And I want to preach a message about not being conformed to this world, but allowing God to transform us even in a wicked and perverse generation like the one we're living in, which I believe is the last of the last days generation. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, please, verses 1 through 2. It says, I beseech you, I beg you, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that what, what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Noah's daughter-in-laws. Now, who were they? What family did they come from? What were their names? The simple answer is, we don't know. The Bible is silent on this. All we know is they married Noah's sons and they got an ark. None of their family, none of their friends, none of their acquaintances obeyed the preaching of Noah. And none of them got in the ark except for them. So obviously their families were not saved. In fact, no parents were saved. No families were saved in the world except for Noah, his wife, and his sons, and then these three women. That society, I'm sure, tried very hard to conform these three women to their ways of thinking and not to Noah's ways of thinking. Okay, fine. Fine. You married him, but you are not going to get in that ark. Do you hear me? Mama said, Dad, that, that, uh, Dad said, you are not going to do that. Way before the flood happened and the storms came, I believe they were hit with a storm of pushback, delusion, and pressure to conform. Now just imagine the pressure on them to not listen to Noah and not listen about all of these warnings about judgment to come. Being a follower of Jehovah costs them dearly. Just like being a a Christian today will cost you dearly. Now, let's be honest. Many weren't willing to pay the price in Noah's generation, and many aren't willing to pay the price today. Today's society is also trying very hard to conform and compromise your convictions to where you'll be like the world and the world's ways. You see it on TV. You see it on movies, on the ungodly lifestyles, social media, Facebook. You know, I got to tell you, there was a new convert that just told me, said, you know, without me saying anything to him, he said, I've got to get off Facebook. And I said, how come? He goes, well, you know, I used to get my news there. But now that I've gotten saved and I started reading the Bible, it comes with so much garbage and so much other stuff and just the explicit pictures and the stories. I can't be on it anymore. That person got transformed and got touched by the power of God. You see it in music and music videos and the words of the music. You see it in your friends in the world and how they act and talk. And now that you've gotten saved, they still try to conform you to their ways. And sometimes even your own family members try to get you to not listen to God, not listen to the Bible, not, be, not listening to church, but listening to their ways of thinking. Drinking. I mean, everybody's doing it. What's the problem? In fact, now there's even a term. It's called sipping saints. Sipping saints. Sipping saints? I mean, talking about a contradiction in terms, an oxymoron. But yet, hey, that's okay. Drugs, illegal drugs everywhere. 
It's okay. Everyone's doing it. I mean, even pot's becoming legal in many states, and it's soon going to be legal here, people say. So it's okay. Everybody is doing it. Sexually explicit pictures and images everywhere. Hey, premarital sex is okay. Even at a young age, just give them birth control to make sure you know, that they don't get pregnant. Or the morning after pill. Living in sin. Just, you know, you don't have to get married. Just live together. In fact, before you get married, you need to live together so you can see if you're compatible or not. If you don't live together, how are you going to know? The world says. And if you do get married and it doesn't work out, just get a divorce. I mean, everybody else does. What's the problem? Or if you do stay together in your marriage, you know, and it's not working out because of the kids, well, it's okay, man, to have a fling on the side. It's okay. It's not, forget about the word adultery. It's okay. Everybody does it. And if you get somebody pregnant, just get an abortion. It's all right. Trying to conform you. And you know, I know that they're saying in that church that same-sex marriage is wrong. But stop that. It's okay. In fact, that's the problem with that church. That's the problem with the Bible. Is that you guys are just so dogmatic. You have no love. You don't have flexibility. It's just the narrow way of you guys. Family pressures you to not come to church or to limit you. And I think about this church. When I first started coming to this church 35 and a half years ago, it was just young people. Young people. And these young people stood for God. You know, I think about our brother Robert Martinez. You can ask him. Our young people in our church said, Mom, Dad, you're trying to keep me from coming to church? When I was drinking and partying, you never said anything. And now that I want to come to church, just ask him of the older people. Ask our sister Carmen Rodriguez and others. They would push back on us. But the young people said, No, Mom, I want to serve God. And they were 13, 14, 15, 16. And they stood for God and they said, God, Mom, Dad, I'm going to come to church. And I'm going to come faithfully. Now, people that are 25, I can't come. My mom's not letting me come. (laughs) Or they say, okay, go ahead and go to church. You can be religious. You can can go, but don't overdo it. Don't be fanatical. You know, just, just be copacetic. Just be lukewarm. Or, I'm not sure you guys have heard this. But to try to attract young people, there are some churches that are selling beer in church. Look it up. To try to be able to be appealing to society and to young people. Hey, we're hip. We're cool. And if you want to get a tattoo, that's cool. We got Christian tattoos over here as well. Or just come to church, but so money-oriented that all they care about is keeping up with the Joneses of the world 
or the Joneses in the church and money oriented. You know, the Bible says that in the last days it'll be like that. Preaching gain is godliness. I'm more godly than you are because I've got a four-car garage and you've only got a two-car garage home. Or just all we care about is pleasure, entertainment. Hey, man. So um, did, you, uh, did you go to Super Bowl? You know, hey, I'm going to be going to this. Hey, I'm going to be going, and, you know, this vacation, that, and all it is is pleasure. Hey, but um, we're about to have this revival. Ah, forget the revival. I'm going to be going to, and all it is is pleasure. Love is a pleasure more than lovers of God. This is obviously not what these three women were like. They weren't like Lot's wife, who was so compromised, so conformed to the society of Sodom and Gomorrah, that she backslid. And she went back and was judged. Why do you think the Bible says, remember Lot's wife? These women weren't like that. We ought to remember these women because of their steadfast convictions. So why did these three women get saved when no other person besides Noah, his wife, and his three sons, no one else did? How? Why did these women get saved and saved from judgment on that day of the flood? Well, let's first start with Noah. Noah, what kind of a man was he? The Bible says he was a God-fearing man, a righteous man that obeyed God. And so much so that his wife saw him and said, I'm going to follow you. God, we need men where the wives respect you. Respect me because they see that we're real. And they see that we're going to be God-fearing men. And they see that we're not going to be duplicitous and hypocritical, but that the wives say, hey, I know he's real. That was the kind of man that Noah was. So much so that his three sons said, my dad's real. Dad, if you say God's saying that, not only do I believe it, but come on, I'm going to help you build the ark. Nowadays, ah, Charlie, that's crazy. And I'm sure... That their sons, that these sons, their dad, Noah, taught them. In fact, grilled into them. You're only going to marry a godly woman. But dad, you know, you're only going to marry a godly woman. Grilled into them. But dad, they're not godly. Just like Jacob instructed his son Isaac, not to take a wife from the world, from the Canaan's families. He says, you're going to take one from the godly family. You're going to make sure they're part of God's family, not the family of the world. Genesis 28. And like in the New Testament, where it says, you're free to marry anybody you want. But 1 Corinthians 7.39 says, but only in the Lord. You can marry anybody you want as long as that person is in the Lord. So these three women obviously heard the preaching and they accepted it. So before Noah's son married them, they had accepted Jehovah and they were transformed 
which is the only way they were able to be married to these men of God and get into the ark. And then they lived what Ruth said, your God shall be my God and your family shall be my family. Knowing, guys, knowing that very soon their family was going to be drowning and dying. And yet they still said, your God, Jehovah, shall be my God. And your family, I'm putting myself with you, will be my family. You've heard the, 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 the uh, expression, blood is thicker than water. <laughs> I'm sure their parents and siblings told them, listen to us, not to Noah. I'm your mother. I'm your father. Don't listen to them. Blood is thicker than water. This reminds me when Jesus was preaching to the masses. And someone pointed out, look, Jesus, here comes your mother. Here comes your brothers. And Jesus is preaching to the masses. And he looks and he sees his mother, Mary, and his half-brothers. And he says this saying in Matthew 13, 46 through 50 says, here are my mother, here are my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, is my sister, and is my mother. He showed us what blood we should be talking about. See, just like Noah's daughters, daughter-in-laws learn, we have to learn The blood is thicker than water only if it's the blood of Jesus. Then we're the children of God and now in the family of God. You know, as I was looking at this, I thought about another scripture that Jesus mentioned where he talked about the future in the great tribulation after the rapture. And he warned that family members would turn on other family members Mark 13, 12 says, Now brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Wow. This is Jesus saying, I'm warning you what's going to happen. There's going to come a society where people are going to be polarized. There's going to be the family of God, the blood of Jesus which knits them, the Holy Spirit, and all the rest of the world. And when the Antichrist comes on the scene, and he starts putting pressure, family members, dads are going to turn in their daughters. Children are going to turn in their parents. And Jesus said, don't be surprised when this happens. I'm telling you about it now. What about you? What are you going to do? Are you going to compromise, conform to this world, or are you going to allow yourself to be transformed? You know, Noah's three daughter-in-laws, they're really unsung heroes. But we have some people like this, many people like this here in this church. I think about our sister and brother, Eric and Terry. I remember when Terry first got saved. 
And I remember how much pushback her family had on her. Jehovah's Witness mom. But I remember Terry stood strong. And Eric has been through a lot of things. And Terry has stuck to her God and stuck to her husband in the midst of so many things like some of you all have done as well. I was talking to Terry when I took Eric to the hospital a couple days ago. And I said, how is Emily? Emily now is in eighth grade. And her eighth grade teacher told all of the students, I want you to think about this scenario. You have a friend. And the friend is pregnant. And the friend, you're going to convince her to get an abortion. So you, I want you to call the abortion clinic and find out the process of how to do that. And all of her friends in that class called the abortion clinic and found out how to do that process. And Emily, an eighth grader, says, I'm not doing that. Teacher, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be conformed. I'm not going to compromise my convictions. I'm going to stand steadfast, firm. That's some of the unsung heroes we have in this church. What about you? Are you being conformed to this world? Most will be. Noah's generation, all of them did, except for these three women. And Noah's family, obviously. Jesus warns that the same thing will happen to most people. He warns in Matthew chapter 7, the road to heaven is very narrow because very few people want to stand for their convictions. Most people will go the wide road because it's easier. They don't want to take the difficult route. They don't want to make the stands the stands that Emily did in front of all her class. Oh, come on, Emily. Or her mom and the push of religious um, a persuasion on her, and she stood her ground. Jesus warned in Luke chapter 18, when I return, will I really find faith on the earth? Because Jesus warns, there's going to be such a compromising spirit. So many people conforming to the world and not allowing God to transform them so they can prove what is the perfect, acceptable, and perfect will of God. They don't want to do that. It costs too much. And Jesus said, because of that, most people are going to take the easy route. What about you? The time to be saved in this age of grace, it's almost over. The Bible says in Genesis 6-3, God will not always strive with man. In other words, God is so gracious, he's always striving to help us. I thank God for that. How many times have God given me a chance? How about you? He is so gracious. But there comes a time where God says, that's it. God closed the door to the ark. Not Noah and his family. Genesis 7, 16. There was no handle inside of the door where Noah and his family came into the ark and, all right, son, go ahead and close the door. No. It wasn't their choice when the door was going to be closed. It was God's and God's Alone, alone. God decided when the opportunity to get in ends and ended and when judgment and rain started. Though it was Noah's family and the daughter-in-law's responsibility to obey God. 
and to recognize the signs and to get in the ark. I believe one day very, very, very soon, the door to salvation will be shut. The signs are all around us. Jesus is about to come back. You know, just in December, last month, in fact, right before Christmas, 1223, in fact, the United Nations passed a resolution. It's called 234. And it was against Israel and calling Jerusalem and all that area, including the Temple Mount and the Wailing Wall, occupied lands. Illegal for the Jews. And the Security Council of the UN unanimously voted for this. And the U.S. stabbed Israel in the back by not vetoing it like they had for the last 50 years. See, the United Nations has been going against Israel since they became a nation again, 1948, and especially since 1967. But always, every American president has said, no Muslim nations, no United Nations, no you anti-Semites. No, we veto this until a couple weeks ago when President Obama, knowing he only has a short amount of time, turned his back on Israel where no president has ever done that, where America has never done that. And we've always been blessed as a nation because we've supported Israel and that happened. And this cannot be reversed. Trump can't do anything about it. Oh, we can defund the United Nations. Yeah. But already the wheels are set in motion. The extremist groups are already coming against Israel. They just feel emboldened now. I mean, you saw what happened just a few days ago. Just like what we've seen here. Terrorists got in a truck. Soldiers were there. And he bulldozed and killed soldiers and injured many other. Get out of our lands, Israel. The world is now saying it's illegal. Get out. It's not just us saying that. It's the world. And our country supported that by abstaining the veto vote. I'm going to show you guys a quick video where it's, um, it's an interview and it has several people in the, video, in the video. Prime Minister Netanyahu, who is a very smart man, but he's very hurt that President Obama did this and America has done this. Then we have the New York Daily News. It's a liberal outlet. It's always being very liberal. And they disagreed with what Obama did. We have, I'm sure you guys have heard of his name, Alan, Alan Dershowitz, he's a very liberal Harvard professor, very. He's always on the side of Obama, always on the side of liberalism. You'll hear what he says, and then you'll hear a former ambassador to the United Nations from the United States, John Bolton. Let's go ahead and lower the lights and show the video. It's only about two minutes long. Okay.
So while they're doing this, guys, you got it? Who says he has, quote, ironclad info no, showing the president helped craft that to the very top. Benjamin Netanyahu can't wait to get Mr. Obama out the door. Netanyahu says he has, quote, ironclad info showing the president helped craft that U.N. resolution condemning Israeli settlements. Despite White House efforts to downplay all of this, Netanyahu today unleashed his fury, declaring it was the administration that initiated, stood behind and coordinated the wording of that resolution. Here's what the prime minister told his cabinet. Over decades, the American administrations and Israeli governments have disagreed about settlements. But we agreed that the Security Council was not the place to resolve this issue. We knew that going there would make negotiations harder and drive peace further away. And uh, as I told John Kerry on Thursday, friends don't take friends to the Security Council. I look forward to uh, working with those friends and with the new administration when it takes office next month. So why did the president, in the estimation of even liberal publications like the New York Daily News, betray Israel? Here are some blistering comments from a usually loyal Democrat, Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz, who sat down with me today on Fox and Friends and revealed an intense private conversation he had with President Obama. He called me into the Oval Office before the election, and he said to me, Alan, I want your support, and I have to tell you, I will always have Israel's back. I didn't realize what he meant is that he would have his back to stab them in the back, mm. and he just stabbed them in the back. And this will make peace much more difficult to achieve. Let's bring in John Bolton, former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. Good evening, Ambassador. Merry Christmas. And I wonder, do you believe this was President Obama stabbing the prime minister and Israel, by extension, in the back? Uh, no, I, th I think he was stabbing Israel in the front. Uh, I think this was clearly intended to do much more than affect the issue of Israeli settlements. Uh, I think when you read the text of the resolution carefully, uh, it's an implicit repeal of the iconic Resolution 242 uh, adopted by the Security Council after the 1967 war, and it is, constitutes an abandonment of the entire concept of land for peace because it is an effort to establish uh, Israel's boundaries and for consequences to flow from that that could be very, very That's good. That's fine. Thank you. So here, the Bible's so clear. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, it says, I will bless those nations and those people that bless you, Israel, but I'm going to curse and come against those nations that come against Israel. We have never done something like that. The signs are all around us. And just like Noah's daughter-in-laws, they saw the signs. And they made adjustments, even though their mama didn't, even though their dad didn't, even though their brothers and their sisters and their nephews and Diaz and grandparents didn't. They saw the signs. And they said, I'm going to make the right decision. You know, this coming Sunday, something else may happen. This coming Sunday, 70 nations of the United Nations are coming together. It's called the Paris Peace Conference. And I don't know what's going to happen. Some people are saying they may even declare a two-state Palestinian solution, okay, that they had said for years now, no, it's got to be the Arabs and the Jews that decide this. And now the United Nations and now President Obama may say, Move out of the way, Israel. We're going to do it on our own unilaterally. And so therefore, Jerusalem is no longer their land, they're saying. 
You are now in illegal land, Netanyahu, and Israel. That wailing wall is not yours. That's East Jerusalem. Out! Zechariah 12, 3, predicted 2,600 years ago. How is it going to be when Jesus returns? The world is going to be talking about Jerusalem. The world is going to be having a burden around their neck about Jerusalem and this Temple Mount. Now, do you know how crazy that is? I mean, Jerusalem and the Temple Mount is so small, so very small. Written 2,600 years ago, Israel was in the nation again till 1948. They didn't take over Jerusalem till 1967, after I was born. Before that, there was no Jerusalem in the hands of the Jews. Before Israel became a nation again, there was nothing there. And all of a sudden, right before our very eyes, this is happening. And God says, when you see the world talking about Jerusalem and trying to take away pieces of land of Jerusalem, Zechariah 12, 1 through 3, Zechariah 12, 8 and 9, Joel chapter 3, verse 2, when it says, when you see these things happening and they're trying to take away Jerusalem, no, I'm about to come back and stop all this nonsense and I am going to defend Israel, says the Lord God Almighty. And God says, just like in the days of Noah, when these three daughter-in-laws, they saw the signs and they prepared are you going to prepare? As I close, I would say two things. One, remember Noah's daughter-in-laws. Two, why don't we start this new year the best way possible? Yeah, if you want to lose weight, great. If you want to exercise, great. If you want to get a better education, great. All those things are fine. But the best way saying, God, no more compromise. God, no more conforming to this world. God, I'm going to stand for you. I see the signs, God. Thank you for warning me. I'm going to stand for you. I'm going to allow myself to be transformed by your Holy Spirit. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the pressures from the world, my friends, and even my family, I'm going to stand for God. Amen? Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed, please. Hallelujah. 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 Remember Noah's daughter-in-laws. Unsung heroes. They're not written about in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. They were just Regular people like you and like me. But they made a decision. I see the junk of the world and even in my own family. And I'm not going to do this. I'm going to hear the preaching and I'm going to accept it. And I'm going to get ready to prepare myself to avoid this judgment that's coming on the world. I'm going to get in the ark. Well, there's no more ark coming but there is judgment coming to this world, no longer by rain, but the Bible says by fire. And the world will be burned and destroyed. And God loves us so much. He doesn't want nobody to go through that. And that's why he's made a way of escape called the rapture. Are you ready? Or are you right now looking pretty much like the world does? 
you're conformed to this world. You're compromising, and you know it. And you right now are being talked to by the Holy Spirit. It's time to say, God, I am going to make a course correction. I am now, God, to get on your side, your family. Your blood is thicker than water. I want the blood of Jesus. And I'm not going to go by what my family member says, my friends say, the world says, my coworkers say. I am not going to go by what my boyfriend says or this person or that person. I'm going to go by what Almighty God says and his holy word. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand to Jesus, saying, God, that's me, God. I make a commitment right now, God. I want to be saved, Lord. No more compromise, God. No more playing games. I'm tired of this, God. I make a commitment starting right now, God, to make 2017 the year, God, that I now put you first. No more games. If that's you and you're going to make a commitment to God, I want you to raise your hand to Jesus. Not to me, but to Jesus. Full commitment to him, saying, God, that's me. I heard your message, God, and I will obey. If that's you right now, raise your hand to God. Say, God, that's me. I see that person. God sees that person. God sees that person. Anybody else to join these three honest hearts? Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, God, that's me. God, no more games, God. I'm compromising, and I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing, God. And I know if the rapture happens, I may not be ready. No more games, God, if that's you. Raise your hand. I see that person. Anybody else? Anybody else? Raise your hand to Jesus. Raise your hand to Jesus. Backslider. Remember Lot's wife. Now she had the opportunity. She knew the truth. But she became so infected, so embracing of the society of her day. Sodom Gomorrah. Looking at things she shouldn't be looking. I see that person as well. God bless you. She became so infected with that that she then was already backslidden in her heart. So when the time came for her to leave, she went back. And she was burned. And she was destroyed. And she's in hell today. God doesn't want that to happen to no one. Backslider. Isn't it time? Or are you going to be sitting in January 2018 same way please don't let that happen anymore because we don't know if we have a january 2018 what i showed you in that video clip that should show you look it up for yourself zechariah chapter 12 verse 1 through 3 look up these scriptures i'm not giving you my opinion i'm telling you what the bible says backslider if that's you raise your hand to god say god no more god no more god i need to come back to you no more games god raise your hand to, to jesus backslider unsaved person anybody here all right for those who raise your hand look at me did you mean that i believe you did did you mean that i believe you did i believe you did come forward we're going to pray for you come on anybody i think there was somebody else that that raised their hand as well come forward guys please come i'm going to pray for you hallelujah hallelujah anybody else anybody else All right. Christians. Evaluate your life. Remember Noah's daughter-in-laws. Think about the pressure that they were going through. Think about them going into the ark. And then they look back. And they see their house. They see their family. They know their mom and their dad is in there. Imagine. 
And yet they said, your God will be my God. Your family will be my family. Blood is thicker than water. But it should be only if it's the blood of Jesus. Let's make a course correction in our lives. Let's, let's open up. Let's come to this altar and let's say, God, no more compromise. Look at your life. Are you, are you compromising? Are you conforming to this world? If that is the case, no more, God. I am now, God, going to stand firm in you. And allow you to transform me, God, and to prove that which is the perfect and acceptable will of God. Because it's my reasonable service, God. Because you died for me, God. Because you have forgiven me, God. It's my reasonable service. I open up the altar. Please come. Talk to your Lord. Talk to the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah, my God. Lord, I stand in your Hallelujah. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord. to love and adore you with all of my with all of my soul yes, forever. Lord, I fall at your altar in sweet surrender. So I've never known a mercy so tender. It's healing my heart. It's healing my soul forever. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, my God, for their uncompromising spirit, God. Oh, God, that we would have women in our church like that, God. Young men in our church like that, God. That we would have Noah's, my God, and Noah's wives in our church today like that, God. Thank you, my God. You will never leave us nor forsake us, Lord. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Thank you. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise you, my God. Thank you, my God. Praise you. Praise you, praise you, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Guys, I'd like to have, if I can, everybody to stand to their feet. Remember Noah's daughter-in-laws. You know, let me also now say something else. Our brother Rick mentioned something that I want to be able to share with you all. So I went to go see our brother Pepe Siqueiros. And, um, and I've been going since the very first day the opera, uh, very first day he was, they were operating him when he fell. And, um, and I let you all know through Pastor and Pastor Glenn that, um, you know, he really hasn't responded to any um, commands. They call it no purposeful movements. He really doesn't move with purpose, maybe a reaction or whatever else, but no purposeful movements, yeah? And I remember when I was inside the University Medical Hospital uh, conference room with the neurosurgeon months ago, and he says, one, he will never come off that respirator, and two, he will never um, have purposeful movements. Well, today, or he's already had it for weeks and maybe over a month, um, already been off the respirator. He still is getting oxygen with um, some moisture in it because he's still not able to cough out the mucus, okay? So he still has to be able to have the breathing uh, help of taking the mucus out, but without the respirator. So that's already a huge thing that they said can't happen. Well, when I went to go see him yesterday, um, he was there with his aunt, and, and Connie was on her way. And uh, so she's telling me, um, hey, listen, um, uh, he's doing better. And I go, yeah, I can see he's doing. He goes, no, no, he's doing better. I said, what does that mean? Well, a little while ago, me and the nurse picked him up, and he grimaced. And I said, he's done that. But then the nurse asked him, did you feel pain? And he picks up his finger. And I got to tell you, she was saying that kind of thing about two months ago. And I was like, oh, that's great, you know. And I didn't want to say, you know, that's great. So me being the cynic and everything else, well, I walked out, and I went to go speak to the nurse, Nurse Diaz. I said, excuse me, you know, I just got to ask you. Um, she was saying, the aunt, that when you all picked him up, that he grimaced in pain, and you asked him if he was hurting. What did he do? Well, he picked up his finger. He said, yes. I said, he did do that. He goes, yes, and I've been with him now for three days, and he's doing that kind of stuff. Guys, that is a miracle. God is doing something. So I went back, and I'm there with the ant, and I put my finger inside his hand, and I said, Pepe, squeeze my hand, and he squeezed my hand. Guys, we got to believe God. I mean, I believe we're living in times where we're going to see all sorts of great things in the world. Not just about Israel, but about your lives. We got to contend for God. We got to stand firm and steadfast for God. No more compromise. No more conforming to this world. And you will be like Noah's daughters. Let's pray for Pepe right now and also our brother Juan Baquera. Um, don't know why he's having an infection. He just had a spinal tap, and they still don't know why. So we'll pray for him, and let's worship God right now, guys. Father, we thank you, my God, for all that you're doing, my God. Thank you, my God. We come before you right now with these prayer requests. God, thank you for what you're doing with our brother Pepe Siqueiros, God. Oh, continue, my God. Do a powerful miracle, my God. Our sister Mary Reina, my God. We pray for a creative miracle, my God. You are able to, my God. You can do all things 
things, my God. We pray in Jesus' name for a church body, God, that will not compromise, that will not be conformed to this world, but be, but be steadfast in you, my God. God, transformed by the power of God, Lord. Rolo rababasa, rolo rababasa, rolo rababasa, rolo rababasa, sobo rolo rababasa, shabara. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Hallelujah. Remember Noah's daughters. Unsung heroes. We didn't know much about them. But boy, we need people in our church like Noah's daughters, like Noah, like Noah's wife, like Noah's sons. Amen? Let's go ahead and close in prayer. And I'm going to have our brother Ray Ortiz close us.